0: Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doralstown Presbyterian Church. As our podcast audience continues to grow, I want to thank our loyal listeners and welcome those who may have just recently found us. We know that life can quickly become busy, so this podcast offers an on-the-go opportunity to hear Sunday's sermon along with the scripture lesson read by that day's lay leader or preacher. We also encourage you to visit our website at dtownpc.org to learn more about our church and all of our diverse ministries. Thank you for tuning in.
1: Our scripture lesson today is taken from Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62. And you can follow along in your bulletin. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, and birds have the air of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The word of the Lord.
0: That passage of scripture that we just heard read contains some of the most confusing and even troubling words of Jesus. They come just after a moment in Luke's Gospel when one can read that Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. And what that means in the Gospel is it's a kind of pivot point. As from that time forward, everything that occurs either leads him to or occurs in the city of Jerusalem where Jesus will meet his death. Just prior to our passage, Jesus and some of the disciples had been rejected by a Samaritan village from even entering. And it was after that humiliating episode that our passage occurs. For we are told that the group is continuing to walk along when one comes up to Jesus and said, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus responds, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Next he walks up to a man and says, follow me. And the man replies, Lord, let me first bury my father. And Jesus responds, let the dead bury the dead, so that you might go proclaim the kingdom of God. Someone who is overhearing that conversation comes up and says, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go say farewell to all at my home. And then Jesus offers this agricultural image involving a plow and says that no one who looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of heaven. Thus, in quick succession, we hear of three would-be disciples, two who volunteer and one who Jesus asked directly, each of whom receives unusual words from him in response. Luke doesn't tell us whether any of those three ultimately chose to follow Jesus. My guess is that they did not. For the tone of his message on that day reminds me I have a true story that occurred a number of years ago when some military recruiters were speaking to high school seniors. They were representatives of the Army and the Navy and Marine Corps, and they'd been told ahead of time that there was a certain amount of time all three of them had to speak combined. Well, the Army and the Navy reps got so enthusiastic that after they had finished their spiel, there was only two minutes left, for the representative from the Marine Corps. Still, as he walked up to the microphone, he stood there silent for a minute, half his remaining time, and then he said this, I bet there are not even two or three people in this room who can cut it in the Marine Corps, but after we are dismissed, I would like to see those two or three in the dining hall. And when the group was Dismissed as he walked in, he found the dining room was filled with eager recruits. Jesus' words have that kind of tone to would be disciples, and yet the way he went about it raises all kinds of questions for it. My own hunch is that he wasn't using reverse psychology on that day. He wasn't trying to see if these three really did want to follow him and thus make it even harder for them to take that first step. Nor do I really think his words suggest that he was tired or upset at what had just had happened at the Samaritan village, or even that he was particularly thinking about what was ahead of him in Jerusalem. All those things are certainly possible. I think Jesus simply wanted to be clear about what it would mean to be one of his disciples. And he spoke some very hard words, but words that are true and that beckon us to listen closely to learn what he might have been saying. Ken Bailey was a Presbyterian minister who served for decades in the Middle East and in his writings he often helps Western ears like ours hear things that are more nuanced and more part of that culture and he's the one that points out that this second man who says let me go and bury my father actually was using an expression that's frequently heard still in the Middle East namely and what it means is first let me go home, serve my father for the rest of his days, and when he dies and I bury him, then I will come back. So for Jesus to say, let the dead bury the dead, was not this harsh word to someone who just experienced loss, but rather a way of saying, no, your commitment to me cannot wait. Likewise, when that... Second volunteer says, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first go say farewell to people at home. Again, a very reasonable request to our ears. It is Bailey who says that what really that man was saying was, well, Lord, I will follow you. But of course, my father's authority is greater than your authority, and I must first go and get his permission. And so, for Jesus to give us that image of a plow and looking forward with it was a way of saying, No, your commitment to me comes first. In those words, Jesus was making clear, not only to those three men, but to you and me, that being the disciple might well include moments of hardship when others are questioning our priorities, when others even, in fact, are resisting what we want to do. And we can experience that reality in all kinds of ways. When one member of the household really wants to be part of some event at the church and others in that same household are resisting, that is that kind of struggle. When half of a couple wants to make a financial commitment back to the church, a kind of proportionate giving, and yet their partner says no, that too is the same kind of struggle. Or when we resist participating in a joke that demeans or in ganging up on the weakest member of a group, we can certainly encounter those who will call us a sport or worse, Jesus was trying to make clear that as disciples, and in the moments when we're trying to be faithful to his call, that it does not mean everyone will be happy with us. I have seen some of that at our church in regards to our work with the Matthew 25 initiative. Our session about three years ago shows that designation for us and the title comes from that same chapter in Matthew's Gospel, the place where Jesus says, just as you did it to one of the least of these who were members of my family, you did it unto me. I fully support the session's decision in that regard and, and we've experienced some wonderfully creative activities from our Matthew 25 team to help us grow in that work. And there's more now being planned for the year ahead. And yet the reality is that even engaging in that work is uncomfortable for some. For some, it calls into question their own actions, maybe when they, without even being aware, were engaged in some kind of racist for others, I think it calls into question, should the church even be involved in those kinds of struggles as we seek to deal with systems and even with the rules that were to prevent such things, that discrimination still happens? There are others, faith members, other faithful members, who are concerned about our Matthew 25 effort because we're not going far enough or fast enough Jesus made clear that when we are seeking to be faithful to him, imperfectly as we always will, that there will be times when individuals still push back or even push away. And it's a reality for anyone who is seeking to live out their understanding of what it means to be a Christian. Will Williman once was the dean of the chapel at Duke University and he tells of a distraught student who called him one Monday morning saying he needed to talk to him well when the student arrived Williman said the boy was a mess he had been wandering around campus all night crying and the young man said to him last night after the fraternity meeting group of us was sitting around talking about the weekend. And the night before, while a party was going on, I'd gone up into a brother's room and inadvertently walked in on a couple who were intimate. I shut the door. I left. I didn't say anything about it to anyone, but at the meeting last night, after everyone had finished talking, someone looked at me and said, Oh, I understand that Mr. Christian got an eyeful last night. With that he said the group began to laugh and it was this mean harsh laugh i had never felt so demeaned they hated me and i rushed out of there and i've really been crying ever since after hearing that story willman said that's amazing really you're not the greatest christian are you you don't know that much about the Bible or theology, do you? And he says, you know me, I don't know anything. And Willeman said, you're young. It used to be that in order to be persecuted, you had to be really a great preacher or a martyr in some other kind of way. But today, even someone like you, in a moment like that, can be a threat to others. And in such a moment, you are a witness. Jesus was saying that those kinds of moments are part of it for those who seek to be His disciples. He wasn't suggesting that it's it's always that way, of course. My guess is that while some of you can think of hardship that you've encountered because of your faith, That far more of you, when you think about what it means to be a Christian, think about the peace and the sense of community you find in the body of faith. Of the strength that you experience in fellowship, in prayer. Of the joy you find in serving those who are hurting in the ways that a particular piece of music feeds your soul. All of us have far more moments like that. That is why we call it good news. And yet Jesus, in talking to three would-be disciples in the first century, wanted to make clear that it won't always be like that. And that even when there are times when we get pushback or evoke anger from others, that we continue to be faithful in our service to the one who has called us. Like many of you, I have been following all the pageantry of the last week or so since the death of Queen Elizabeth II, the longest reigning monarch in Britain's history. Among the accolades that I have read or heard about was this reminder that she was a devout Christian. And my hunch is, that some of the criticism that she faced over her 96 years grew out of how she tried to live out that faith. Still, my favorite story that has surfaced to this point recalls a chance encounter between the Queen and two American tourists. It happened about 15 years ago. She was out for a walk near Balmoral Castle in Scotland And she was accompanied only by Richard Geffen, Royal Protection Officer. And after her death, he is the one who told this story, as he said. Usually on those kinds of walks, we wouldn't see anyone. But on this particular day, we saw these two hikers coming toward us. And as the Queen would always do, Her Majesty stopped to say hello. They were two Americans, he said. Out on a walking holiday and it was apparent to me from the start that they didn't recognize the Queen which was all right he said they began talking about where they had been where they were planning to go and things they had seen in Britain and I could just see it coming Giffen said but when the gentleman finished he said to her majesty and where do you live And she says, Well, I live in London most of the time, but I have this little holiday house over the hill where sometimes I stay. And the American said, Well, how long have you been coming up here? And she said, Well, since I was a little girl, so it must have been almost 80 years. And given says, I can see the wheels turning. As the American says, Well, if you've been coming up all those years, you must have met the Queen. And she said, well, I haven't, but Dick here sees her all the time. (laughs) At that point, the American turned to the protection officer and said, you know the queen? What's she like? And Geffen said, well, having worked with her as long as I had, I knew I could pull her leg. And I said, well, to be honest, she can be a bit cantankerous at times but she has a lovely sense of humor. And before I knew what had happened, he continued, the American had come and put his arm around my shoulder. He had taken his camera and given it to the queen and asked her to take a picture. (laughs) And after he had finished, he went on and said, we never lit on, we waved goodbye, as they were leaving, and then Her Majesty said to me, I would love to be a fly on the wall when he shows that photo to some American friends and hopefully somebody can tell him who I am. I suspect that our journey as servants won't include a moment like that. And yet Jesus was clear in saying there will be times when living out our faith creates tension with loved ones, even with fellow members. And that instead of being surprised by that, instead of somehow thinking that we must have missed the fine print on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to acknowledge that that is part of it. And to keep at it. To keep being faithful in seeking to understand His will and acting upon it and to know that we will always do so imperfectly. But that as we engage in that work with family and friends, with fellow members, and occasionally even with tourists, that doing that kind of living will give others a glimpse of who he is. Let us pray. We do give thanks, O God, for your call to faith for each one of us. We thank you for this community where we continue to grow in understanding what that means and seeking to live it out. And we name what you already know, that we do so imperfectly, each one of us. And yet we ask on this day, O God, that in those moments when we seek encounter resistance because of acts of faithfulness, that it might not cause us to lose heart, but instead to move forward, ever growing, ever discovering, ever acting upon your call to us all. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you again for joining us today. Once again, I invite you to check out dtownpc.org for information about our worship and programming for all ages.